0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Okay, if y'all would turn to Matthew chapter 1 again tonight. I think we'll finish chapter 1 tonight. Lord willing. Pretty much covered it this morning. All right, and let's pray. Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, uh, again, another opportunity to open your word before us and read your very um, truth revealed, given to us. Lord, what a privilege to have it, to possess copies, and, Lord, to be able to uh, look to it for uh, wisdom, for instruction, for truth to lead us through this dark world. Lord, we pray tonight as we consider this passage again that you uh, will enlighten our minds, uh, open our minds to comprehend, open our hearts to receive and apply Uh, Your Word, Lord, may may it have effect on us. We do pray for Niall Simpson. We lift him up to you this evening, Father, and uh, ask for your intervention. Uh, We ask that you strengthen his body, grant the rest that he needs, and make the medication do what it's supposed to do to help We just pray, Lord, um, for healing, for recovery. Draw them close to Yourself. May they know Your presence and the strength and comfort that knowing You provides. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. right, Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read the same verses again that we dealt with this morning. Again, starting in... uh, Verse 18, this is a narrative concerning uh, the birth of Christ. And as we were talking this morning, we, 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 verses 1 through 17, you you, might kind of, you can think of it this way. Verses 1 through 17, you, you have uh, the uh, human genealogy lineage of Jesus. And you might think of this as the divine lineage here, where He is revealed to be the Son of God. Uh, by means of miraculous conception. Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her... for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Amen. So here we have um, the account, Uh, actually the Holy Spirit's account, given through uh, the pen of Matthew of the... uh, of the birth, or as we said this morning, the incarnation of Christ, the eternal Son of God, becomes man. Now, what I really want us to kind of hone in on tonight is that He came with purpose. And that purpose is fulfilled. Just, just like this prophecy was fulfilled, we saw um, in verse 22, "...all this was done that it might be fulfilled." God spoke some uh, 700 years or roughly 750 years before the birth of Christ. God spoke through the prophet Isaiah these words. Behold, the virgin sh- shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew translates it for us. Um, God with us. And that, that prophecy given... Is now fulfilled. Now, on our time schedule, I mean, at least if you're like me and you're impatient, um, 700 years—that's that's a long time. Isn't it? <laughs> you can, if you were there and you were hearing Isaiah speak, you would—you wouldn't probably suppose that there would be that kind of time frame. And we don't know for sure, but there may have been uh, an immediate fulfillment as well. There may have been a young woman, not, 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 a, uh, not a virgin in the sense that there was a virgin conception and virgin birth, but, but just a young woman at the time who would uh, marry and, and, uh, and bear a child, fulfilling the immediate prophecy. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's been suggested. Some suggest that it's the son of Isaiah. I don't don't know about all that, but I do know this: it is definitely fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, and very literally in that, it was a a virgin that conceived and bore this child. So just like that prophecy was given and fulfilled, Jesus is sent. He comes with purpose, with a mission, which is also to be. Fulfilled. Again, in verse 21, the angel says to, uh, to Joseph, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's, again, the Hebrew name uh, Yahshua. We say Joshua. The Englishized version of it, I guess you could say, is Joshua. Um, means The Lord saves. The Lord saves. You shall call His name the Lord saves. For He will save His people from their sins. Here's here's the purpose. The angel states it. She's going to bring forth a son. You'll call His name Yahshua. The Lord saves because He will save. He will save. He's coming with this purpose in mind, and He will accomplish it. He will save His people from their sins. So it's the promise of a Savior, a Deliverer. And He's foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament. People like Moses, when the children of Israel were were in bondage for some 400 years in Egypt, they longed for a Deliverer. They they, they they felt the oppression, they felt uh, the need for deliverance, and had the desire for deliverance. And God sent a deliverer, Moses, who led them out of bondage. There's a great picture of salvation there. People who are in need of a Savior, in bondage to sin, which is... The case of every human being. Our problem is, I guess we could state it this way, our problem is that we're all related to Adam. And Adam and Eve fell, and through them sin entered the world, and every one of their descendants inherits that sin nature. So we all stand in need of a Savior. We're all in bondage to our sin. Jesus says that uh, you're you're a servant to whom you obey. And though, uh, of course, all people don't realize it, um, yet all people are servants to sin and in need of Savior. And so a Savior is promised. And this promise of a Savior, which, by the way, is first given in Genesis 3, this message of a Of a Savior coming is preached throughout the Old Testament, and there are many, many, uh, uh, different, uh, figures that foreshadow him, Moses being one, as I just mentioned, and then you get in, uh, Joshua is another one, which, by the way, had the same name, Joshua. Joshua leads the, the people into the, uh, the promised land. You get into the promised land, and they go through various judges, and you just, if you read story after story after story where, um, they, give in to their own lust and idolatry. They they get themselves in trouble repeatedly, and they cry out to the Lord for a Deliverer, and God sends a Deliverer. And everyone, in some way, foreshadows this ultimate Deliverer, when God would deliver His people from their sins. And even in Jesus' own day, when He comes on the scene, we see during his ministry that that their thinking is still just in terms of um, their their present current situation, the political environment, and so forth. So they want a deliverer, but they're still thinking in terms of being delivered from uh, the Romans, from the rule of the Romans. They want to be reestablished as a sovereign nation, not. Exactly the deliverance that will be provided. In fact, a greater deliverance. He will save. He will save. Call His name. The Lord saves. For He will save. That's what He's coming for. Last uh, week we read from uh, Isaiah chapter uh, sixty. I want to read you uh, or 61 rather I want to read you a quote here from uh, Luke 4 where Jesus uh, announces um, his own fulfillment of this uh, of this purpose. Spirit of the Lord and he's quoting from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's come as a, as a healer of the broken hearted. He's come to proclaim liberty to those who are in bondage, to give or grant recovery of sight to those who are who are blind to set at liberty, to set free those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, <coughs> came to save. Because we are sinful by nature, because we are in bondage to our sin and we, we have no way to break free from it, we needed a Savior and... He came to save. I I often think back on my, I've shared this with you before, but my own experience and uh, one passage in particular that that the Lord um, used to really drive home my own sinfulness uh, was Psalm 38. And uh, it's hard for me to express. uh, I guess the best way to say it is this. uh, When I read it, um, it was as though I could have written it myself, at least large parts of it. What I mean by that is this you you, you know and, and I guess this is one one reason i I sort of think that way, but um, as a as a uh, as someone who likes to sing songs sometimes sometimes you hear a song that fits you so well. That it, you, you know, you kind of. Think, I, I could have written that. Not, you know, I'm not saying that I'm talent, talented enough to write it. Just saying I, I can identify with it. I could have written that because it fits me so well. That's the way this psalm hit me at a very low, low time in in my life. I used to keep a Bible by my bed, and it was um, basically like a good luck charm. Because I didn't read it very much. I mean, you know, every once in a while maybe, but uh, like, I, like I did this night. But but I usually kept it close. It was a Bible my my sister gave me when I was five years old. Uh, I was a ring bearer in her wedding, and for for providing that service, <laughs> doing such a great job, um, they they bought me a. Uh, uh, she and my brother-in-law bought me a a, uh, a black Bible, you know, and, and I, I I loved that Bible. Although, like I say, I didn't stay in it like I should have, but but uh, but I kept it. And so years later, when I, uh, you know, and, and it was important to me. And years later, when I when I strayed, um, I, I still had it and, and kept it, like I say, somewhat like a good luck charm. But I remember this particular night. Um, just uh essentially uh being in despair and it was it was one of those deals and I'm not saying that this always works or anything like that not suggesting that but I am saying that the Lord used it in this case and I'm sure others too it was one of those deals where I just thought you know I'll just cuz I didn't know where to go what to read I just thought well I'll just open it put my finger down and and I'll read wherever wherever I am well uh it, it I opened it to uh, Psalm 38, and here's what I read O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, for your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly, I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of a full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I remember that phrase, um, well, as, as others, particularly hitting home, I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. The very last two verses of that um, became a, a, a prayer for me that I, I prayed quite often over the next, I don't know, probably a year or so, maybe a couple years after that night. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation um, well there wasn't a there wasn't a a turnaround that night, but i but I tell you this, I never forgot reading that, and I never forgotten um, how it pierced my heart I mean it hit me like a like a hot dagger in the soul. You know, there, there's a song out now on the Christian stations, and the, the the first line of it is, and it's probably a good song. I'm not trying to down it. I don't, I don't even know what, what all of it talks about. It's a Christian song. But but the first line just caught my attention, and it starts out, He's not mad at you. And uh, you know what? We just read that psalm. It uh, said just the opposite. <laughs> Right, rebuke me not, O Lord, in your hot displeasure. And sometimes um, I I know, I think I know what the songwriters were trying to do when they write a phrase like that. He's not mad at you. They, they're afraid that people have a lot of uh, wrong ideas about God, which they do, and they're and they're kind of trying to smooth smooth it over and say. Come on, you know, the Lord uh, loves you, and, and come on and, and serve Jesus. But the truth is, um, he's angry with the wicked every day. And again, where we just read Psalm 38.3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones, because of my sin. And I say all that to say this: um, it's it's hard to know you need a savior to realize you need a savior unless unless you realize how sinful you are, and that yes, God is indeed angry. In other words, why why would you want if 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 Ray and I were on the on the outs? I wouldn't desire any kind of reconciliation with Ray unless I knew, first of all, and recognized that we that something was wrong. So it's important, I think, to know that we are sinners separated from God. God is angry. And yet, through Jesus Christ, He has provided reconciliation. And that's that's why the good news is good. <laughs> it's not good because God's not angry, and that's what happens a lot of times. People want to say, "Well, you know what? He's not really, he's not really mad. He's he's been mis- and No, he he is angry at sin. He is angry at sinners, and that's why the gospel is such good news because he has provided atonement for us. Because indeed, our sin has gone over our head, as the psalmist said. So, He came to save, and that really means something. In other words, we we really were or are lost. We really were in need of a Savior. When I read that, I really was in need of salvation. And I needed the truth about who I was and who God was and where I stood with Him. And He used that not to drive me away. He used that truth to save me, to humble me and to bring me to Himself. And again, there wasn't a turnaround that night, but He used that. And over time, um, that along with many other things, um, well, He he brought me in. He came to save because we're in need of a Savior. He came for that purpose. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. The Lord saves, Yahshua. For He will save. But, it doesn't stop there, it says, For He will save His people from their sins. Now, this has interested me for a long time, the specificity here. For He will save His people. People, interesting, isn't it? For he will save his people. First of all, I mean, he has a people. Well, we know that if we've ever read the Old Testament. And right here, Matthew gives us uh, the lineage of uh, of Christ. the the uh, the the seed of Abraham, the Davidic line. Seed of Abraham, seed of David, a Jew, a Hebrew. The people of God. For He will save His people. God has a people that He calls His own. And He sent Jesus into the world to save them. Now, it's it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, God has the people who are His own. He has set His love on but you know what they're 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 not any different than anybody else as far as needing salvation they he has to send a savior because his people need to be saved so they are just like every other human being descendants of Adam and therefore recipients of the sinful nature God's own Chosen people that he calls his own. And so he sends Jesus into the world to save them. That's what I want to kind of focus on for the next few minutes. Because I think there's a reason that um, Matthew uses that kind of specificity. For example, why didn't he say, He will save... All people from their sin. Well, we know, at least if we've read the Bible, if we've read the rest of the Bible, as they say, we know how the story ends, right? We we know not everybody's going to be saved, right? Some people will remain lost. Some will be saved, some lost in the end. Some will be resurrected at Uh, At at the coming of Christ, some will be resurrected to uh, spend eternity with Him, to enter the kingdom. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of the Lord. And some will be resurrected to damnation, eternally separated. Jesus describes the scene in Matthew 25, where all the nations are gathered before Him and He separates here's the same distinction that we're going to talk about in a moment. But He separates the sheep from the goats. He makes a distinction between His people and others. But He also does not say here, He came to say, quote, He came to save all people, but... Not all will believe, therefore He will save those who believe. Although there's truth in that statement. But but He doesn't lay it out like that, does He? He doesn't say, He, he came to save all people, but they won't all receive Him. In other words, He's not describing, it doesn't appear, he's, he's not describing a potential salvation that God has provided Potential salvation in Christ. He came to save every single individual if they will receive Him. I don't know. Just just to me, and of course I'm not saying that because of this verse alone. Other passages as well. But it, it, it seems much more certain. He will... Say, that's 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 a certain. He's speaking with certainty, isn't he? He will say, not he might or he could, but he will. And he goes on. He will save his people. You, you'll call his name. The Lord says, because he will save his people from their sins. Those people that belong to him. He will save. There is certainty certainty there. How many of you have ever seen the little uh, uh, acronym TULIP to describe the five points of Calvinism? How many many of you are familiar with the five points of Calvinism? And and how many have heard the TULIP used to describe them? I know a couple of you have. Um, Let me say this real quick. Because I, I, it's one of those things, you know, I'm, I've, 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 well, for years I've been a person I, I, I don't like uh, particularly um, labels. Um, but some are just impossible to get away from or else we're not going to be able to communicate. <laughs> it's like the term Baptist. You, you've probably never heard me say, I am a Baptist. You've probably never heard me make that statement because I don't think in those terms. My, my heart's desire is to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower. But when you use the term Baptist, you know, so, so you, you you may, you know I would say something like, you know, I pastor a Southern Baptist Church. when you when you use the term Baptist, you are helping define for people what you believe. Now, one reason I've, I've just never been real crazy about doing that is because still, you, you got to keep defining and describing. You know, I, I, sometimes people ask, "Are you a Calvinist?" And you, you got to kind of say, "Well, um, what do you mean by Calvinist?" Because here's the thing: if I'm using my definition, I'm, I, I wouldn't—I probably wouldn't mind just saying yes. But I don't know that your definition is the same as my definition, and, and so many people out there have misconceptions, even about Christianity, much less. Some particular branch of Christianity, so I don't want to I don't want to be tricked into <laughs> using their definition, which and, and ma- which makes me out to be something I'm not, because there are a lot of, a lot of misconceptions. So I've never been really really crazy about labels, but you can't completely get away from them because they are helpful uh, to a degree in defining um, you know certain certain uh, certain belief systems, certain terms, blah blah blah. But having said all that. I just say all that for this reason. I'm going to use the term Calvinism because that's what's traditionally used. But in my mind, what I'm talking about here is Bible. It's biblical theology. I promise you. I had a pastor say to me years ago. We were we were having a discussion about these things, and he, in one of his statements, he started out. Well, you know, way before. Calvin invented this, blah blah blah. And I said, "Hey whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. <laughs> Calvin didn't invent this. I know we, we use his name, and this is why I'm saying this here, but it's not a John Calvin doctrine, unless you just mean by that, that he adhered to it. He believed it. So Calvinism, at least in terms of what I'm about to describe to you, is just Bible theology. It's just the truth. You know, here's here are the five points of Calvinism using the the acronym TULIP, TULIP. And by the way, Calvin did not come up with these. These were uh, these were uh, you know used later. Um, uh, I think they came out of the the uh, uh, Senate of Dort. But uh, and, and they were actually a response to a response to Calvin. Uh, you know, so so it was actually those who opposed Calvin's doctrine. And those who, who, who take this view of Scripture who said, you believe this, 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 and this, and this, and, and, and they came back and, and uh, just, just kind of stated it more accurately. It's been called the five points of Calvinism. The first one, the T, stands for total depravity. The T in tulips. And tulips just an easy way to remember them, that's all. Um, but the T stands for total depravity. What I was talking about a moment ago, where we are all without exception... Slaves of sin. You know, it's it's not like a little um, light affliction that we need a hand with. You know, sometimes you're, you're a little bit, you go to lift something or something and, you, and it's a little too heavy for you. You're a little bit too weak to lift it. And so you, you ask somebody, hey, you mind giving me a hand with this? It, it's not like that. Total depravity means that our whole person is affected and there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. We are totally enslaved to sin. Now, let me let me say this too, what it does not mean, because it's often misunderstood. That term, total depravity, does not mean that you are the worst that you could be. Because what happens people see that phrase, total depravity, and they think, oh man, that means that I'm just... You know, uh, a super duper center, and you know, so so. In other words, everybody's. Uh, we, we would probably describe it this way: like everybody's an Adolf Hitler, and, and of course, you look around and everybody's not an Adolf Hitler. You're, you you may have a neighbor who's lost, doesn't know the Lord, but he's a nice guy, and you look at him and you say, how can that guy be totally depraved? Or, or you know, look at myself and I say, how can I be totally depraved? I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. Well, it, it doesn't mean that you're the worst that you could be. That's not what the word total there means. It means that your whole person is affected. So your your intellect is depraved, alienated from God. Your emotions, depraved, alienated from God. Even even your body suffers from the sin that we have inherited from Adam. So you, or So you could say, for example, mind, will, and emotions or something like that. Just think of your whole person. That's what the word total means. And one reason I point that out is because uh, today those who argue against these truths, some say, well, you know what? Yeah, you're, you're, uh, your heart is corrupt, but, but your, your mind, you're still able, you're able to make decisions. Your will is not totally depraved because um, you can decide to follow Christ. And every single person can do that. And I would say no. I think what the Scriptures teaches is that your whole person, including your will, is anti-God. So again, totally depraved just means your whole person. Everything about you is depraved, separated from God. Everything about you is in bondage to sin. The you, I have to try to move a little quicker, but the you is unconditional election. That is that God chooses you, um, not based on anything that you did, but just according to His own choice. God chose you, like Ephesians 1. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of of the world. We are chosen in Him. Unconditional election. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to bring it about. It's all God's doing. Somewhere back there before anything was but God, God decided to save you. decided to save me. He elected us. That's election. And that word, by the way, you know, I told you I don't, uh, I've always kind of had this aversion to to uh, uh, labels, but but let me it's because a lot of them carry all this baggage and and they're and they're not in scripture anyway. Election is in the Bible. <laughs> that one's in the Bible. predestination that term is in the Bible. Calvinism is not in the Bible, but those terms predestination, election. They're there. The concepts are there, and the very words are there. find predestination, for example, in Romans 8. Election uh, in Romans. Um, and then repeatedly the church is called the elect. So unconditional election is the U. The L is really the one we're dealing with at this moment. And Like I said, I've got to, for the sake of time, speed up a little bit, so we're going to come back to that one. But the L is for limited Atonement. Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. The I is for irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. Um, just means simply that when God chooses you to. Uh, Be a receiver of His grace. It's always effective. He never never says, I'm going to put my grace on that person. In other words, I'm going to save that person. God never says, I'm going to save that person, and it doesn't happen. That, That scenario never plays out. Because what God does, and again, this is one of the main reasons we're talking about these things right now, because this is what I want us to see tonight. When God determines to do something, He does it. He will save His people from their sins. Alright, so um, the I is for irresistible grace and the P is for perseverance of the saints. Or uh, some people prefer the word preservation of the saints. Either way, I think is good. Um, But it just means that once someone is saved, they're going to remain saved. They're going to persevere by grace. All by grace. So... So, and 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 that's one reason, you know, Calvinism, if you want to call it that, agrees with the Scripture because Calvinism is God-centered. And it's, it, it's saying that it's all of grace. We don't deserve any of it. It's God's doing. And it's not based on anything we did. The only works that it's based on is God's work, the work of Christ, the cross. And so... Um that happens to be the same message that's not only Calvinism. that happens to be the same message that you find in the Bible. And so that's why I say it's just biblical It's just, it's just a biblical view uh, in my mind. So irresistible grace and then the p is perseverance of the saints, just meaning that everyone chosen to be saved will ultimately be saved. nobody's going to fall away. everybody will persevere unto the end. Remember when we went, went through the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews kept on hammering that, right? Persevere, persevere. Hold on. Hold fast. Don't turn back. Move forward. Move on to perfect perfection. Persevere. All those who are truly saved will. And that's what uh, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints teaches. Now, that's, that's the, uh, what is called the five points of Calvinism. Total depravity, unconditional election... Limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. The one we're dealing with here in the next few minutes is the L, limited atonement. Now, a lot of people complain about that word "limited," and I'm not crazy about it either. But um, it works in the tulip thing. Okay, so uh, you got to at least keep it for memory's sake, and then you can then you can replace it uh, after you remember the specific thing. <clears throat> the reason that a lot of people don't like it and and I and I don't is is because it not because it is necessarily wrong, but because it's just so easily misunderstood. Limited atonement. When you think about the atonement, you think about what is the atonement? Jesus shedding his blood for sinners, right? That's that's the atonement. He's shedding his blood for us. Sacrifice to God, an acceptable sacrifice to God Making payment for our sins. That's the atonement. So when you say limited atonement, it sounds like, well, there, there are limits on the value of Jesus' blood. Well, that's not at all what Calvinism is saying or, or teaches or uh, any Calvinist um, That's not what they're meaning by that. They're just, and and probably a better word, and this is also a a traditional uh, uh, reference, is particular. Particular atonement. Particular atonement. Because what is meant by the word limited is is just that when God, when Christ died on the cross, He had certain people in view His people. He came to save His people. From their sins. So he died for, he spilled his blood for his people. And that's what's meant by limited or particular atonement. If you you do a little research in Baptist history, you're going to find out um, that there were particular Baptists and general Baptists right from the beginning. The Baptists really uh, came on the scene in in, the 17th century, early 1600s. And, and right from the beginning, this division existed. Some were, quote, Calvinistic, and others were, quote, Arminian. Uh, the Armenian side meaning that um, putting a heavy emphasis on free will, it's all up to you. Your, your will is free. And, and you decide, ultimately, if you're going to be saved or not, where on the Calvinistic side... Um, it's, it's all that I just explained to you and much more. I mean, that's just a summation. But, but it, it's, it's that view that, that we can't do anything to bring ourselves to God. It, we are totally dependent upon God for every phase of salvation. So that rift among Baptists, anyway, existed from the beginning, particular Baptists. General Baptist exists today, although uh, the word particular Baptist is not used very often uh, anymore, but uh, it it used to be. Particular Baptists hold to the idea of limited atonement or particular atonement, meaning that Christ did accomplish exactly what He came to. To accomplish. And I think that that's exactly what Matthew is saying he will do. Or uh, the angel saying to Joseph. Matthew recording it for us in verse 21. She will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. The Lord saves. For he will Save His people from their sins. He will save His people from their sins. Now, I was going to go to some passages we're not going to have time to. Let me just say you may want to do your own looking on this. Um, read John 6, for example. You will, you will see Jesus uh, talking about these things um, 1,500 years before Calvin was alive. <laughs> Jesus was teaching these things. Um, no one can come to me unless it is given to him by my Father, Jesus says. And he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. The whole latter part of John 6, I don't know, somewhere, starting somewhere around verse 35 or 40, somewhere around in there. Read that whole section. John 10, where Jesus makes a delineation between his sheep and other sheep, and he even says, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In fact, let me read one verse from there. John 10. But you can, if you read it on your own, you can start reading in verse one, John ten, verse one, and just just read all the way through where he um, describes himself as the good shepherd. But you get down to, um, let's see here, verse twenty six. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then back in verse 15, he says, Father knows me, even so I know the Father, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The angel says it this way. He will save His people. He came with a purpose. He came as Savior. Even given that name, the Lord saves Jesus, Yahshua in the Hebrew. Probably what His mama called Him when dinner was ready. Yahshua! Jesus in the Greek. They did uh, commonly speak Greek. It was the trade language. Don't know if Mary and Joseph spoke Greek. Uh, again, he probably went by Yahshua. And every time that name is called, and it was a common name, by the way, there were a lot of kids named that. But every time that name is called, it's the Lord saves, the Lord saves. And he came with purpose. He came as savior and he came with purpose to fulfill this mission, saving His people from their sins. Or as he says in John 10, to lay down his life for them, which is what is required in order to save them. Shall call His name Jesus, for He will." save His people from their sins. And He has done exactly what He came to do. Let me give you one more verse and we're done. Isaiah 55.11, because this one comes to mind, talking about these things. The the, uh, Lord is speaking through Isaiah here about His Word. And I think this is perfectly applicable to Jesus because he is the word capital W of God John 55 I'm sorry Isaiah 55:11 So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void but it shall again notice the certainty it shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So know this. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. You say, how do I know if I'm one of His people? Come to Christ. Come to Christ. All who are His people will come. What if He doesn't turn me down? That won't happen. And John, he says, He won't turn a single one down. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Salvation is sure for those who come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and thank You for these precious truths. Lord, the certainty of Your, um, Your plan, Your determination to save sinners, Your promises, the certainty of Your promises that all who come to God through Christ will be saved. Lord, we thank You for the reminders that um, it's not about us and it's not dependent upon us. It's all about You. Our salvation is the result of Your sovereign grace. Undeserved on our part, and yet, Lavished upon us. Lord, we thank you for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.